All right, we continue our series this morning called Our Happy Place, and Madison started it two weeks ago, and she did a message called Your One Friend Away, and and the whole idea behind our happy place is that you're happiest when you're in community. You're happiest when you have friends and stuff around you, that when you're connected into community is when you are most happiest. The biggest uh, problem we have in the world today is loneliness, that people can be surrounded by throngs of people but still feel incredibly lonely. We did a little bit of a detour last week where I talked about that our happy place was when we're taking ground for God, that when we're seeing the kingdom of God established and growing in our lives and our families and our community, that's when we're at our happiest, when we're stepping out and doing things for God, and that's true. But I want to come back to what Madison started, and I want to talk to you this morning about a foundation of friendship, because I do think that we have lost the art of how to have friends. And the thing is, is that friends actually affect every area of our lives, and and the right friends will actually cause us to have success in particular areas of our lives. And the flip side is the wrong friends will help us not to have success in particular areas of our lives. Um, The wrong friends usually lead us into more destructive struggles and kind of not such a good idea. And if there's one thing that I used to drum into my kids when they were growing up, and I certainly had it drummed into me by my parents, um, was show me your friends and I'll show you your future. I don't think there's a parent in this place that hasn't kept an eye on what sort of friends their kids have. Yes? Is there anybody? Come on, talk to me. Parents, come on. Now, some of you have seen your, your kids become friends with other kids, and you're like, we have to break that friendship somehow. Yes? Come on. But you've got to do it stealth mode, because if you come in full on, then that just makes them want to be friends with it, because especially teenagers, have that inner-built rebellion edge to them, yes? And so you've got to do it in a kind of a secret squirrel kind of way because you understand that the friends your kids have will determine how they come out. But I've noticed something in all the years that I've been in ministry is that we're very good with our kids. We're not very good with ourselves, We're very good at making sure our kids have the right friends, but I know a whole lot of adults that don't have the right friends. And then they wonder why their lives have ended up where they are. You you show me the people you spend most of your time with, and I'll show you the trajectory of your life. How do I know that? Because Proverbs 13.20 in the message version says this, Become wise by walking with the wise, hang out with fools, and watch your life fall to pieces. Yes? We, we know this, don't we? We know this for sure. That's why we make sure our kids don't hang out with the wrong crowd. If you hang out with people that are better than you, wiser than you, smarter than you, you're going to become like them and you're going to rise to this level. You know, before I came into pastoring, I had no idea really around governance and around all that sort of stuff. It's been the people that I've surrounded myself with that has helped me to, to actually have a clue around how to do governance and how to do budgets. and how to, I didn't have a clue, really, of how to do that in an organization. I worked within budgets in an organization, but I never had to set them and manage them and, 
And so surrounding yourself with the right people is really, really important because you'll rise to their level. And if you hang out with a bunch of fools, guess what? You won't rise to a level, you'll drop to their level. You'll drop to their level. Yeah? Any success in my life, if I'm honest with you, is directly tied to God using the right people to lead me with the right mindset and the right actions. And sometimes it requires those people, like one of them is Pastor Brent Lebeside, would be one of the people that God has brought into my life that has helped me. And not every conversation I have with Brent is like, Craig, you're awesome, you're amazing. Sometimes the conversations are, bro, what are you thinking? That's a bad attitude. That's a wrong mindset. How many people know you need the right people around you to help you in life? God used the right people to influence me in the right direction. But how many people also know this, that when you got into trouble, you didn't get into trouble alone? Hello? When I think about all the dumb things I've done in my life, especially in my teenage years, it was never me on my own. It was always me with my mates. Can everybody, yes, you're still quiet, talking to me. It'll be really, really good. Um, and and it's, you, you don't succeed on your own and you don't fail on your own. People are around you and they're with you and those people have an influence on your life. Hence why the saying goes, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Sociologists say this, that, the, that we, we generally, not so much now, we'll, we'll get to this a little bit, but they say that your five closest friends are the people that have the most impact on you. So I, I want you to think for a moment about who are your five closest friends, not your spouse and not your family, not your dog and not your imaginary friend, your five closest friends. I want you to think for a moment about the five closest two people to you. I'm, I'm talking about those people that you could call at 2 a.m. in the morning and go, whoa, this has happened, and, that, and they will jump out of bed, they'll come around, and they'll help you, and they'll support you. You know, those people that you're completely and totally transparent with, and they know everything about you, people that know you intimately, and they know you, and, and I'm talking about those closest friends. Five. Can you think of five of your closest friends? Some of you can't. We'll get to that in a minute. But what sociologists say is this, is that you are the average of your five closest friends. Think about that for a minute. Because I thought about that this week. And I've got some close friends that are really intelligent. And I've got some close friends that are just clowns. And I'm the average. <laughs> I need to get rid of my clown friends and increase the intelligence level so my intelligence lifts. I'm just joking. But they say that you, you will average out at the average of your five closest friends. So, so for some of you, when you think about your five closest friends, you're like, that's why I am the way. It's not my fault. It's like I thought about it. It's not my fault I'm dumb. It's my friend's fault. If they were more intelligent, it would lift my average up, wouldn't it? 
Once again, just joking. So serious this morning. You're the average of your five closest friends. In almost every area of your life, you will be the average of your five closest friends. The middle of the pack of the five people that are closest to you. Now, if you and your five closest friends are pursuing God with everything you've got, with a heart that's full for God, then then you're going to be okay because you become like the people you run with. If you've got five close friends that are passionate about God, they're in church, they're in a kidney group, they're, like, they're really charging and everything about who God is, then you're going to be okay because you'll become like the people that you run with. But if you're hanging with the right people, you'll be okay. But I want you to think about every part of your life right now. And I want you to think about things like this, like you want a good marriage, yes? Are you hanging out with people that have good marriages? I can remember sitting in my workplace once and one of my, my colleagues was having trouble in his marriage and so he's getting advice from a guy that we worked with that was on his third marriage. That's like going to someone who's been bankrupt and asking them for financial advice. I'm not saying that God can't turn that around because he can and people can learn from that. And in fact, I've met incredibly wealthy people that have been bankrupt a few times because they've learned some lessons. But you, but you know what I mean. Like if, if you've got... If you're hanging out with someone who has a really bad marriage and you're asking them for marriage advice, guess what? You're not going to get some. Do you want to be stronger financially? Five of you do. Okay, the rest of you don't want to be. That's cool. Um, Then are you hanging out with people that understand how to manage money? Because I'll tell you the truth, the reason why people that win lotto 10 years later are worse off than before they won it is because they may have won all this money, but they don't know how to manage it. And so they end up worse off. That's why the Bible says this, when a slave becomes king, the people suffer. Why? Because somebody who has not had any education or understanding how to lead, how to rule, how to look after others, how to run a kingdom, will be selfish and look after themselves and damage the people in the process. If you, if you want to be better financially, be around smarter people who are good at managing their money. If you want to be stronger spiritually, guess what? Oh, this is awesome. You're learning. You want to hang out with people that are stronger than you spiritually. Why? Because you become like the people you hang around. Proverbs 17, 17 puts it this way. It says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversary. My question to you is this, is it, wouldn't it be amazing if you had a handful of friends where you learn from them and they learn from you and you make each other better? Yes? That they love you enough to tell you what you need to hear and not what you want to hear to stop you from doing stupid things and help you do incredibly cool things. Wouldn't that be amazing? Because that's what a friend is for. A friend loves at all times. That means a friend loves you when you're being an idiot and when you're being amazing. But a brother is born for times of adversity. In other words, your friends, God's created us to be in community with one another so that when we're going through times of adversity, that's what they're born for. They're born to help us get through that stage. They're born to help us. You see, we're created for community, but we drift to isolation. And the last three years has not helped us because we were told 
to isolate. And I think we're even struggling still now to come out of this isolation mindset and get ourselves back into community. According to a psychological review, the scary thing is, as I said to you, pick five friends. Most of you cannot pick five friends. And the reason why you can't is because according to a psychological review, most people only have two close friends. That's it. Two close friends. 25 years ago, they tell us that the average person had six close friends. 25 years later, we only have a third of that. That's how much society has drifted from this ability to have friends. I think a lot of that is just the way that society has gone, where we don't tend to know our neighbours anymore. We don't tend to really, we, we kind of, I've got some, I'll tell you some reasons as to why I think this is a problem, but, but the reality is, is that the review showed that that we're, we have only two close friends, whereas 25 years ago we had six close friends, which tells me that the ability to have friendship is diminishing in our world. And what's even scarier is that 25% of people reported that they only had one close, trusted friend. Something is desperately wrong with this picture, yes? Friendships are declining and there's no doubt, and and, and so the obvious question is, is, why do we think this is happening? Why, why do we think that friendship is diminishing? Well, I'm glad you asked, because I did some research, and, and I want to give you three reasons as to why I think friendship is diminishing. This is not all of them, and it's not in any particular order. It's just three things that I saw from stuff that I read and research, and just in life alone, that I think is the reason why we're seeing friendship Diminishing. The first one would be increased work hours. We're working more hours now than we've ever worked. Yes? Some of you, the idea of leaving at five o'clock just sends you into a panic. Some of you, the idea of leaving at five o'clock is like a great idea. Let's do that. But we also live in work environments where you're frowned upon if you leave at five o'clock, even though you're only paid to five o'clock. There's this inherent under the radar kind of mentality that they expect you to be there to at least 5.30, even though you're not paid for that half hour. And if you leave before 5.30, that somehow you're not a good employee and you're letting the team down. Yes, am I right? Yeah, come on. You have mobile phones now, which makes you accessible to your work colleagues and customers 24-7. And the thing that amazes me the most is people generally these days don't care that it's the weekend. I was hanging out with someone who runs a landscaping business. We were out for dinner on a Sunday night, and it was about 9 o'clock on a Sunday night. This phone goes off. It's a customer ringing him at 9 o'clock on a Sunday night. What is wrong with us? At 9 o'clock on a Sunday night, I don't want to think about what needs to be done around my house. I want to think about watching something that's just going to, and then go to bed. That's what I want to do. I don't know about you. I think increased work hours are working all the time. People are working much more than they've ever 
And because of that, they're not developing relationships because they don't have the time to. Yes, would that be true? Second reason is, is rising divorce rates. Now, I'm not having a go at anybody that's been divorced. It's, this is not what it's about. It's just a reality that rising divorce rates affects friendships. Why? Because studies show that not only divorces affect families, but they affect friendships. Because people expect the friend to pick a side. My best friend that I had when I was younger, um, he would knock on my door at 1am in the morning, but that was to go to the driving range and hit some golf balls. That's a, that's a good friend, yeah? I mean, you could be sleeping, but let's go and hit golf balls. Trinity used to joke that the things she feared the most is that I'd end up with him and not her. Because we were, we were close. We were the best of friends. We, we did everything together. We, we were planning to plant a church together. Like We did everything together. He was incredibly pastoral. I'm not so much. Please forgive me. Um, it's, I, I am, but I aren't. He, he was all pastor. He was one of these people that would get up on the stage and he'd smile at everybody and you'd feel the whole congregation go, we love you. I've I got to work hard, crack jokes to get you to like me. Um, not all the jokes are good, so then I have to work even harder. Um, you know, all this. So he was this amazing guy, but, but when I found out that his wife was cheating on him with her gym instructor, and I went and told him because she wouldn't do it, I lost that friendship forever. I did the right thing by telling him but the problem was, is every time he saw me, it reminded him of it. I lost my best friend by doing the right thing. I think that we have a problem where people are working too much. I think we also have a problem where 50% of marriages are ending in divorce and it makes people have to pick sides and there's a loss of friendship in the process. And the third thing that I think is destroying friendships is an explosion of social media. I'm not against social media. There's a lot of great things and great uses of social media and there's some great benefits to it. But we have to be honest with ourselves and we have to acknowledge the fact that social media is redefining the way we think about friends. Yeah. This may, this may blow your brain, but before social media, I never picked up my phone and rang my mates to tell them about what I was having for breakfast. Just didn't do it. Didn't ring up and go, hey, guys, just thought you should know. You're the 10th one I've called this morning. I'm at this cafe. I'm having a big breakfast. There's, there's tomatoes, mushrooms, hash browns, unbelievable hollandaise sauce. Like, I mean, it's a, um, but what we do now is we take a photo of it and we post it on social media and we wait for all the likes to come in. You know, before social media, nobody cared about what you ate. And if I'm honest with you, I still don't care about what you're eating. <laughs> so now, rather than becoming more concerned about face-to-face -face intimate friendships, we're becoming obsessed with our online image of what people think we are because your online image is not who you really are. 
We share our hearts and our thoughts and broadcast them to the world in 140 characters or less. We take a picture of ourselves, and if we don't like it, we delete it and we redo it again. Because, you know, you, you know you can go online now and you can watch tutorials on how to, how to, how to stand... How, how to pose, what angle to have the camera at, how to do... And, and so we do it again and again until we get the angle just right. And then, you know, what we can do then? We can then, we can then look at it and go, okay, we can, we can adjust it. We can put a filter on it. We can make it look even better. And, and then we frame it. Then we make it look amazing. And we make it look like, you know, like it's amazing. Have you seen those uh, memes where it goes Instagram versus reality? And you have these people, they've got this amazing shot. And it's like, oh, man, it looks like their life is amazing. But when you pan out, from this shot, there's all these other people waiting in line to have the same photo. Yes? Boyfriends and husbands have become photographers. We should just take you out for a date. Now we've got to get the right angle and reshoot. We frame it. And then once we, once we put the filter on it, well, we've got the pose right. Once we frame it, then we spend time carefully crafting the perfect statement. You know, like, life goals, relationship goals. It's like, your relationship goal is this fake moment? Am I getting too close to the... And then once we've crafted the perfect statement and we've posted it, then we sit around and we wait for the likes to come in. Look at that, 12 likes in two minutes. And you know why we like that? Because when we get likes on social media, they'll tell you that you get a dopamine hit in your brain, which makes you feel awesome. It's the same sort of thing that drugs do for you. So social media has just become a legal drug that you use to make yourself feel better. And then you condemn the person that uses alcohol or marijuana. But you're doing the same thing just with social media. And the problem with that is, if you know anything about drugs or anything about porn, is that once you get the dopamine hit, sometimes after a while it doesn't work anymore, so you've got to go to the next extreme and the next extreme and the next extreme to get the same level of hit. And the problem with that is that social media you might start off with a pose, but before you know it, you're in your bikini, and before you know it, you're now posting just in your underwear, and then you've got an OnlyFans page. Why? Because you, you've got to intensify the extremities of what you're doing to get the same hit. This is going to sound really harsh when I say it. Please forgive me. But now you're prostituting yourself just so that you get likes. From people who actually don't give a crap about you. Sorry, we'll just rewind that because it was a bit tough. The thing is about social media is we feel like we're connecting with people because of that. Because people are liking and commenting. Now, I'm not saying don't post stuff. I'm not saying that. It's the motivation of it, yeah? Because we think that we're in relationship because we're in touch with people, but you're in touch with people, but you're not in relationship with people. And so often people are allowing this to replace the intimacy of relationship. 
And now we have people with more likes, more followers, more Facebook friends, and yet they feel more alone because it is an illusion of intimacy. It is a counterfeit of what God created for us. I know that you might go on Facebook and see that you have 2,000 friends, but I'm telling you, they're not your friends. Because I had people from all over the place. I had someone from Romania ask to be my friend. I've never been to Romania. I have no idea who they are. They're not your friend. We've replaced the way that God created us to live in community with this counterfeit thing. Not all of us, but some of us. Yet we crave the intimate personal depth in a relationship. And social media cannot replace that. It is a supplement to it, but is not a replacement to it. And I, so I want to I talk to you in the last 10 minutes this morning. I want to talk to you about the friend that we need to be. Because I think so often we can come into the church world or the kingdom world and, and we say things, oh, that church isn't friendly or that isn't. Now, there's, there's an element that, yes, we need to be friendly, but there's an element as well where you, you need to be the kind of person that people want to have a friendship with. Yes? Are you hearing me? So I want us to rediscover, and this is not, um, this is not intensive, it's not, it doesn't cover everything, but I want us to rediscover the lost art of friendship this morning. And, and, and I have narrowed it down to just two things. So there's a whole heap of things, but I think these two things, if we can master these two things, I think that what we'll do is we'll start to get the art of friendship back. We'll start to get community back. And here's the thing. One of the greatest witnesses we can give to the world, Jesus said this, they will know that you're my followers because of your love for one another. That means friendship, community, intimacy. It's a witness to the world. Why is it a witness to the world, the way that we love and care for one another? is because out there, nobody loves and cares for one another. Out there, they are selfish, like we have always been. But when we come into the kingdom, we understand that we're not here for ourselves. We're here for everybody else. And so the first thing that I think that we've got to do if we're going to rediscover the art of friendship is we've got to learn to be present. Learn to be present. Let me put it this way. I'll develop my relationships face-to-face, not thumb-to-thumb. I will develop my relationships face-to-face, not thumb-to-thumb. Dave Gilpin, who's coming to be one of the speakers at conferences here, I I really enjoyed a a post he put up recently where he said it's okay for pastors to be fat. And what he was saying was this. It's a bit satire, was it? Satire, whatever it is, cartire. Um, and what he's saying is that, is that we should be because we should be taking people out. And when we take them out for coffee, it's one thing, but when you take someone out for lunch, by the time you have your entree and your main, and please, he said, make sure you have dessert, you have, you've now had this person for an hour and a half of talking to them and finding about who they are and what they like and what their life has been like and the gifts and the callings and the greatness that God has on the inside of them. You, you can't do that thumb to thumb. And so I came away from watching that and thought, I'm not overweight, I'm just doing the ministry. It's just a joke, I am overweight, just in case you haven't noticed. But I want us to make a commitment that we're going to develop our relationships face to face, not thumb to thumb. 
Are you hearing me? Because presence matters. Presence matters. When Jesus called his disciples, he didn't say, hey, guys, here's a book. I want you to go away and study it. What did he say? He said, what? Come, come follow me and I will what? Make you fishers of men. In other words, I'm going to make you a better person. Come follow me. What does that mean? Come do life with me. Come be intimate with me. Come and share all of the moments, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and all the moments in between, the jokes, the good times, the bad times. We're going to do this together. And in the process, you're going to improve because you're around me and we're going to become all that God's created you to be. He said, let's do life together. Let's journey together. He's basically saying to them, the best way that I can impart to you the Father's love into you is that you will be with me all the time. Let's be present together. The writer of Hebrews said something that has been true throughout history, and I don't think it could be even could be more prophetic than, than today. And he said this in, in chapter 10 of Hebrews, he said, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Do not neglect our meeting together. Now, I understand that people are watching online today and some of you are sick, but if you're not sick and you're watching online, you're actually being disobedient to Scripture because Scripture says don't neglect the meeting together of one another. As some are in the habit of doing so. I'm a bit strong this morning, isn't it? But the Greek there is only used two times in Scripture, and it means this, to meet physically with a spiritual purpose. To meet physically with a spiritual purpose. In other words, he's saying this, let us not neglect meeting together with a spiritual purpose as some do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of returning is drawing near. In other words, we can't afford to do life independently from one another. We have to come together because there's a spiritual purpose to what we do. And there is a power and presence that is not there any other way. Like I can ring Trinity when I'm away, like in Fiji or different places where I'm on the mission field. And I can talk to her on the phone. I can even FaceTime her now, which is just an amazing thing that we're able to do. But it's not the same as being present. Why? Because more is caught than is taught. You will catch things from people by being in their presence more than you'll hear the words that they say. Why? Because we minister to one another spirit to spirit before we even say a word. And so presence matters. Presence matters. There's a power in presence. There's a power in physical presence. And there's something about presence that is incredibly, incredibly powerful. And Matthew 18.20 says it when he says, For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. In other words, when we come together like this on a Sunday or into a connect group or whatever it is, even in a working bee, when two or three gather together in his name, he comes and puts himself right smack in the middle of it. And there are some people like, I'm just not experiencing God in my life because you're not gathering It's not that he's absent. It's just that you're not creating the environment for him to be present. 
We can't forsake the meeting together of one another. And I think that there's one thing that the church worldwide has got really, really wrong. Christians worldwide have got really, really wrong from COVID is that we think we don't have to gather anymore. We think we turn up once a month, we're doing God a favor. You're not doing anything for him. You're damaging yourself because the Bible says, don't forsake the meeting together one another like it is some of their habits because as the day draws closer to him returning, we need the encouragement we get when we, when we gather and we're present. You guys don't need to hear that because you're in the room today. Something happens when we gather. There's a power, there's a presence of God that comes when we're together. There's something about the presence. There's something about an environment where we're all here together and somebody looks at you and says, I see greatness in you. I believe God can do more for your life. Something happens when we come together. There's something that happens when somebody jumps on a plane and flies halfway around the country just to be with you as you grieve because of a lost loved one. There's something powerful about when that person is present in the midst of your adversity. Powerful. Pastor Mark Tobias in Wellington is a very, very dear friend of mine who's going for a battle with cancer at the moment. And I talk to him on the phone regularly. But on Thursday, I jumped on a plane and I flew down to Wellington just to spend three hours with him and fly back. Why? Because presence matters. Yeah? He needs to know that I love him, I'm there for him, I'm praying for him, and I'm not coming down here just to preach, I'm coming because you're my friend and I care about you. Presence matters. And when you're grieving, when friends turn up, it matters to you. There's something about presence or being present and I'm not talking about just being physically present, because some people are physically present, but they're emotionally on holiday. You know what I mean? Those people that you sit down to talk to and they're like, hey, inside, in, in, hi, Brian, it's really good to see you. I'm glad things are going well for you. Um, how, how's, how's the school going, mate? Yeah, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah awesome. Yeah, great. Oh, cool. All right, mate, we'll see you later. It's, that's not present. I've got a really good friend who's a pastor, and I love him dearly, but he, he, he would do this in church. Mate, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome, awesome. Hey, you're, you're really awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome. Oh, somebody else. Look, and it's just like, you can tell me I'm awesome every single time we meet, but after a while, it just doesn't mean anything because you might be physically present, but you're not emotionally present. You're not here. Let's not give up the power of meeting together that some are in the habit of doing. I want to encourage you to make sure that you're present. The second thing is, is, is that we need to get open. We need to be present and we need to get open. We need to open up. We need to be transparent. You know that there's a, you know that the fastest growing phobia in the world today, psychologists tell us, Do you know what the fastest growing phobia in the world today is? Can anybody guess? Just one at a time. Anybody know what the greatest, fastest growing phobia in the world is today? 
Being alone, people, FOMO, germs, snakes. Oh my gosh, we're getting well off track now. I'll tell you, you know what it is? Talking on the phone. Now, you may laugh at that, but I know there are people in this room, um, and, and, and I raised some of them, um, and it's like, well, you need to ring up, and oh, can you, can you ring for me? Can you ring for me? Hey, you should give that person a call. I'll just send them a message. It's the fastest growing phobia in the world, and we laugh about it, but some of you, when the phone rings, you let it go to voice message, and then when you reply to them, it's a, it's a text. Yes? And psychologists tell us it's the reason that people are afraid of talking on the phone is because they can't control the direction of the conversation. They're afraid of talking on the phone because they don't know how the conversation's going to go and they can't control it. So what they can do is they can control their, their messages because they can think about what they're going to say before they message it. I reckon there's some husband and wives in our world that talk to each other this way even though they're sitting on the same couch. It's because they can't control the conversation. So when... But when someone texts you, you can one, you can either say, I'll ignore that, I'll deal with it later, I don't want to do it right now. Or you've got a chance to think about what you're going to say, or you can type it out and then delete some of it and redo it again. You can craft your response, it puts you in control. A phone call, you're not in control because you have no idea where this conversation is going and what the person's going to say next. And sometimes it can be really, really awkward. But you know what's even funnier than people's phobia of talking on the telephone? Is they also discovered this. This is even funnier than that. They discovered that people don't, not only do people not know how to have a conversation on the phone, but people don't know how to end a conversation on the phone. And so it's like, yep, cool. All right, yeah. Awesome. We don't know how to end a conversation on the phone. Can I suggest to you, it's really, really simple. Just say, okay, thanks, mate. See ya. Done. You know, it's, this, is not, this is not boyfriend, girlfriend relationship. You hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, no, it's not that. It's that we don't know how to end conversations. We don't know how to have conversations. We don't need to know how to end conversations. People do not know how to share their hearts anymore. They don't know how to be open. They don't know how to be transparent. And James says this in 5.16. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And so there's a whole lot of wounded, broken people walking around in our world because the healing comes from intimate, close, trusting relationships where they can share their open and transparent lives, not to be judged, but so that person can say, hey man, I went through something like that. Or someone else in the category goes, man, I went through something like that. And so they share their experiences and advice and then people get around you and they pray for you so that you can be healed. And so there's a whole lot of people walking around saved because we confess our sins to God for the forgiveness of our sins and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. You're saved, but you're bleeding out of all of your wounds because you won't get into true, meaningful relationship, community, where they can be healed. How different would you be spiritually if you had a trusted, intimate Christian friend that you can say, hey man, I'm really struggling with anger. 
I, I just can't deal with it anymore. And they turn around and say, hey, man, that's okay. This is what the Bible says about this stuff. I had a problem with that too. This is what I did. Can I encourage you? And can I pray with you? How much different would your life be? The thing is, is we may impress people with our strengths, but we actually connect with people through our weaknesses. Nobody's going to connect with you if you're walking around acting like your life is amazing and fantastic 24-7. Because people feel intimidated by that because their lives aren't just like your life isn't. You're just projecting. But people will connect through your weaknesses. I try to be as open and honest as I can from the pulpit, but we've had people leave the church because they think I'm too honest. It's weird. It's when we're transparent. It's when we're vulnerable. It's when we drop the online persona. And we say, hey, this is what I'm going through. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what makes me afraid. Here's where I'm struggling in my marriage or in my finances. Here's the temptation I just don't seem to be able to overcome. Here's the fear that I continue to have. You know, when you find the right people, right people, I say that again, the right people, when you share stuff like that, their response will be, hey, man, I've gone through that too, or I'm going through that right now too. And all of a sudden, you start to connect, and there's an intimate connection when you're transparent. Like I said at the start, I'll say it again, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Maddie, can you come and jump on? That'll be good. You see, God's plan when he created you was not that you would be independent. He says this in Genesis he created us in his image. In his image, he created us. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity. Not this Trinity, the Trinity. Created us in his image. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. An intimate connection. The three are one. He's created us in his image. and his likeness, he created us. If God the Father needs the Son and the Holy Spirit and that intimate relation, and he created us in his image, why do we think that we don't need intimate relationships with people? He's set the example. This is how it works. Go and do likewise. And the problem with a lot of people is that they'll have all sorts of reasons why they can't, why they can't do that or why they need to be independent. I'm just not that kind of person. It's, I'm, I'm just not wired that way. And even some people will quote a few scriptures about why they can't do that. You know, I've discovered that, that, that people read the Bible for three reasons. One, to justify the position they're taking. Two, to preserve the past. And three, some people read it because they want to obey it. And when you turn around and you say, well, I'm just not wired that way. It's just not the way that I'm wired. 
Um, yeah, you are wired that way because you're created in His image and in His image and His likeness you're created. And He is a God of intimacy and relationship. So you are someone that needs intimate and relationship. For you to turn around and say, I'm not wired that way is to say that God didn't make you in His image and that God got it wrong and you're right and He's wrong and it's disobedience to what He's created us to be. It's why He made us this way. We're created to know Him and to be dependent on Him and to be dependent on people because we are incomplete without the body of Christ. We are not whole on our own. We are only complete in the body of Christ. And here's the good news. If you've had the wrong people around you, He can bring the right people around you. That if God's design is for you to have intimate relationship, then it's his job to make sure he brings the right people around you. Yes, you have a role to play. You have to be friendly. Proverbs says this, he who wants friends must himself be friendly. That means that you don't, you know, sit somewhere and nobody's talking to me. Nobody wants to talk to someone that looks like that. You you have to be friendly too. We have a role to play. We need to be present. We need to be transparent and open. God will bring the right people around us. If we ask them to, he'll bring the right people around us. Because it's his plan. It's, It's how he wants you to be healed and whole. And it's his plan. Community is God's idea. He created us for it. We need to be part of it. But we also need to be open to what God wants to do in our lives. And it means that we have to be vulnerable and vulnerability comes risk. And that's why we avoid it because some of us have been really hurt in the past. We've been hurt by friendships. It it aches my heart even to this day that my friendship with Brett is still not a friendship, that I lost it all those years ago. 25 years ago, I lost that friendship. And it still aches to this day that I've lost that friendship. But it's not going to stop me from trying to form some more because I know that's what I need. And friend, I know it makes you vulnerable, but the thing is, is that God made himself vulnerable. (laughs) The God that didn't need us made himself vulnerable to us. And he's just asking you to do the same thing. So I want to pray for you this morning that God will bring the right people around you. That we wouldn't be one of the statistics of one friend or two friends, but we'd have five or more friends, close, intimate friends that we can share our lives with, that we can do community with, so that we can see the healing that God has planned for our lives, so that we can be a witness to the world around us, that we're followers of Jesus because of our love for one another. And that a world out there that is lonely and hurting would see the church and go, that's what I need. That's what I need. That's what I need. And that they would find Christ just because we decided to be present and we decided to be transparent. Why don't you all close your eyes just for a moment. And I want to ask you today, if you're here in this room and you're like, man, I I, I, I really need some, some friends. I really need some friends. If I'm honest with you, there's probably only 
I've probably only got three close friends that I'm transparent with. That'll be it. I, I want more friends. I want more friends. I'm pretty sure you want more friends. I'm pretty sure you want to be in a community where you feel loved and accepted and belonging. It's two things that we need to do. We need to be present and we need to be transparent with the right people, obviously. But I want to ask you, if you're here and you're like, man, I, I need more friends and I want, I, want, I want community, I want what God promises, I want to give you an opportunity to, shortly, not now, an opportunity shortly to raise your hand, just as an acknowledgement of saying, God, help me. Help me find right friends. Help me get in community. Help me find what it is that I'm looking for. I'm going to pray that God would start bringing the right people around you. Not just one or two, but five, six, seven. People that will help you, support you, love you. And I'm also going to pray that you'd become that for someone else. Because so often we can come to these times where it's about what I need. But you know, there are people in this room that need you. They need your friendship. They need your intimacy. They need your prayers. They need you sharing your weaknesses to help them in theirs. We're all in this together. So if you're here and you're like, man, I, I, I would really love it, Craig, if you'd pray for me that I'd, that God would send along the right friendships because I need, I need the right friendships in my life and I just need some more people around me. Why don't you write me up? Just lift your hand across this place. If that's you and you're like, man, I, just, I need God to give me some really good friendships to help me as I walk through this journey. If that's you, why don't you put up your hand? That would be awesome. Awesome. Why don't we all stand to our feet? I love that after this, we're having soup together. Because nothing makes us hang around more than food. But uh, can I encourage you? that there are people in this room that put up their hands today and say, hey, I need more friends. And while you're eating your soup and dunking your bread roll and the pumpkin soup or whatever soup it is that you're eating, can we just be aware that there are people in this environment here right now that needs you, that needs a friendship? So between every mouthful of pumpkin soup, why don't we also share some encouraging words? And get to know some people. Go out of your way. Get outside of your box. You never know. As Madison preached a couple of weeks ago, you could be one friend away from your life completely changing. And that person could be in this room right now. Yes? Let's pray for those that lifted their hands. Father, we thank you so much that you're one that sticks closer than a brother. And we so value the fact that you are the God who's always present, that you're the God that never leaves us nor forsakes us, that you are Emmanuel, God with us, that you are always present. We thank you for that so much, God. We pray that we would be able to find others, friends, true friends that would be present with us, that we'd be able to be a true friend that is present for others, 
and that there would be a power when we come together in the presence. And we gather as we share, as we become open and transparent with one another, as we as we reflect the community of the Godhead in the church, Lord, that you would bring a blessing and a healing and a fullness to our lives, that we would become a witness to all those around us of that this is what God has intended for your life, that we'd see people saved just because we've built true friendships with one another. Let the people in this place, let them have the right friends come around them. God, bring them along. Bring the right people. Let the conversation over suit. Let them be led, even though they don't realize it, to the next friend and the next best friend and the next best friend and the next best friend that we would leave this place a lot more whole than when we came in because we've connected with people and connected with our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you all. We love you heaps, but it's soup time. So let's go and have some incredible soup and conversations together. And we'll see you all next week. We've got a guest speaker next week, Pastor Jenny Gilpin. She's prophetic. It's going to be awesome. We'll see you then.